You're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 258. I don't watch competitors. It doesn't mean I don't pay attention. It just means I don't copy. I might get ideas, but I don't say, oh, look at this place. I want to be like them. Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, Gift Biz Gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and I'm so happy to have you here with me today. And if you're listening the week this show airs, consider yourself lucky. You still have time to grab a seat in my masterclass titled, How to Turn Your Handmade Products into an Income-Producing Business Without a Fancy Degree or Wasting Time and Money Doing the Wrong Things. If you're struggling to get your business off the ground, if you're wondering what you're doing that's preventing you from seeing the results you're expecting, or if you're thinking about whether this is all worth it in the first place, help is on the way. Go sign up for this masterclass at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash masterclass, and let's get you back on track and excited about your business again. There are only a few days left before class begins, so feel free to pause this podcast. It's okay. I give you permission. Go reserve your spot and then come back to this value-packed episode. The link to go to again is giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash masterclass. Now, today, I am so excited to introduce you to my guest. He's the first to admit his business started kind of as an accident. But when you hear the story, you'll see how all of it fits together. A perfect storm, if you will. You're also going to hear why it's best not to focus on your competition, what to watch for to know how people really feel about your product, and how to get customers coming back over and over again. At the end, I give Ben a challenge that will play out a little bit later this year. Let's jump over to our chat so you can hear all about it. Today, I am so excited to introduce you to Ben Baer of Meadowbrook Gourds. Ben has spent the last 30 years helping to start and grow this company called Meadowbrook Gourds. They now have 20 full-time employees dedicated to growing, designing, crafting, and marketing gourd decor designs, each one intended to create smiles and make homes a little bit warmer. They sell about half their gourds wholesale to customers located in every state, and the other half are sold online, at their store, and through the many classes and community events that they host at their farm. Ben attributes his success to many things, but none more important than consistently trying to be just a little bit better every year and in every area of the business. At this point, Ben is starting to step back and let the next generation of leaders take them forward. Ben believes that it will be beyond anything he could have ever dreamed when he crafted that first gourd in his garage many years ago. Ben, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Well, hi, Sue. Thanks for the invitation, and I'm excited to do this. I am so excited to hear your whole story, too, and I'm going to tell everybody at some point here how we got connected. 
But before we do so, I have to do what's become a little bit of a tradition on the show, and that is have you describe yourself by way of a motivational candle. So if apart from the bio that I just gave in the intro, if we were to get a little glimpse into who you are, Ben, what color would a motivational candle be and what would be a quote or a motto on that candle? Well, the candle would be gourd shaped. Surprise, surprise. Oh, love that. (laughs) For people that don't know what gourd shapes are, just picture a candy kiss, but maybe eight inches in diameter, something like that. Color wise, it would be green and yellow. Kind of the color of sunflowers, but also of John Deere tractors. That happens to be one of the things that I enjoy is really good equipment. And that, to me, is the best that I can buy. So that's really secondary to what that thing said, what that candle says. And to me, I learned, I think it's called a homily or something like Mm -hmm. that as a kid. My father, who was a farmer, kept repeating to me. Well, there were six of us kids. He repeated to all of us multiple, multiple times. It didn't mean anything to me. And then I find out later in life I'm doing it. And what that saying was, was good, better, best. Never let it rest until your good is better and your better is best. Still never let it rest. And to me, that is why I can look back and feel successful is because we started out novices. We didn't know anything. We got competent and then we didn't compete with other people. We just got better at bookkeeping, advertising, growing, marketing, every step of the business all the time. What is is great, but how could you get it a little bit better? And it drives a lot of people crazy. People that don't like change, this is change. This is a life of change. And I love it. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, I don't watch competitors. It doesn't mean I don't pay attention. It just means I don't copy. I might get ideas, but I don't say, oh, look at this place. I want to be like them. I simply just want to be better than we were before, I guess. I've written this down because we are going to talk about competitors. I think that'll be a great topic to continue with. And I agree with you there completely about the competitors. But I want to dive into that again in a little while. But I think what came to me when you were talking about the good, better, best and the whole quote there is... I think there's this fallacy that at some point as a business owner, like when you get to a certain revenue number or when your store is this big or whatever the marker is, that you'll have quote unquote made it, right? Uh, Yeah, right. (laughs) But those of us who have done this realize that when you get there, you've already put another goal further out for yourself. And maybe you didn't even realize you got there. You were so focused on just getting better that it's like, (laughs) oh, that's a dream came true. And I forgot I was even dreaming. Yeah, you ran past that finish line that you had created for yourself. Absolutely. Yes, that could be a flaw, though. (laughs) (laughs) And that says to me and a lot of people who are just beginning the business, enjoy the journey. Absolutely. Especially when you're just starting out and you're imagining and you're dreaming of what your business is going to be. That unto itself is beautiful too. Agreed. And you don't have all of the challenges that start to pop up as you're actually doing things. Every step of the way we should acknowledge, I guess I'd say. If I was to look back and say, what should I have done better? Probably that one. Oh, yeah. Just acknowledging as you go. And paying attention to all the successes. Mm, Yeah. Like appreciating each step more in the moment, I guess. Right. 
Okay, well, let me share with everybody how I came to find out about you. And I actually knew you before I even really knew you. And let me explain what I mean by that. So last September, I was out doing a trade show in the area. And the woman who works with me at the shows lives in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And she picked me up. We got our booth all set up. And then she says, Sue, we're doing something this afternoon. I know you're going to love it. It's a surprise. I'm not telling you where we're going. And we drove, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half, something like that, Mm -hmm. where you are from Hershey. Mm -hmm. And we go down this path. And then all of a sudden revealed is this gorgeous, huge sunflower field. And I'm like, oh, these are so beautiful. And she says, well, just you wait. And we pull up to this building. We go inside the building. And then I see all of the gourds. And I already knew the gourds, Ben, because I've been to a number of stores throughout the country that have your products, your wholesaling to them. Mm-hmm. One of them is the cupboard in Fort Collins. And my daughter lives in Fort Collins right now. And we've had family live there for the past like eight, nine years. And every time I walk into the store, especially in the fall, that's when they're displayed the most. I'm like, oh, I love these gourds. I love these gourds. And now this year when I went, I knew you and I turned it over. Sure enough, Meadowbrook gourds. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's quite a compliment. Thank you. And my stepdaughter has a number of them in her house. And I'm like, I know that I'm telling them all about your store. And then, of course, the sunflowers and all of that. And all of you Gift Biz listeners, if you go onto my Instagram account, you're going to see pictures of me in the sunflower field. You're going to see a picture under that tractor that you have there. I crawled under there to take a picture, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) And those little gourd cottages. So your place is beautiful. Thank you. So I just wanted to share with everybody. So that's when I reached out and I'm like, oh my gosh, can we get you guys on the podcast? And then Ben, you so graciously agreed to do so. But I don't know the whole story about how the business developed. So take us back to your garage. Tell us what happened and how you got the idea for all of this. Well, I think ideas for me first start out like a glimpse. I see something. And then let's take the gourds. Let me back up here and tell it maybe a little bit from a little earlier. Okay. I've spent my lifetime on a farm, but on a vegetable farm where you grow and you must market every day pretty much the product you sell because it doesn't store well. We weren't growing for the shipping market. We were growing for the local market. So if you want to get the best flavor out of your things that your local market wants, that's a little bit different maybe than the products that you can ship states away and still be fresh. So what I'm trying to say by this is I was growing dried flowers and fruits and vegetables, probably 50 to 100 different things every year, each of them being very time sensitive. And that in the wintertime, I didn't have any employees because I didn't have any work. So I'm kind of like a one-man show. I'm 25, 30 in that age range. But I'm pretty much the only adult on the farm with, say, 50, 75 kids that I have, like, kids leading kids. Like, my older farm crew would lead the kids. But let's just say that it's like having a classroom of 75 kids that you're trying to get to work. And that lasts from dark to dark from March until October or September. Picture that lifestyle of always feeling like you're chasing your tail. Like, oh, I should be able to get over to this field and get the weeds out of this crop. Well, I should be over here. And you're constantly chasing your tail. 
mm-hmm. because I was just at that size where I wasn't prosperous enough to hire full-time people that were steady, but yet I was doing okay. Well, I took a trip looking at roadside markets and up in New England, and we're located in Pennsylvania. I don't remember if you said that or not. So I went north by four or five states, whatever. And I saw gourds, like just two or three of these hard shell gourds. They were shaped like a goose and I had never seen them before. So I thought, well, they would look awesome with pumpkins. I'm selling pumpkins in the fall. I had picked your own pumpkins and I was shipping down to DC, out to Detroit, some different places because pumpkins are shippable. And along with that, I was looking for other products. And I saw these gourds. I thought, wow, I've never seen them in my area. So I bought the gourds and brought them back and promptly forgot about them for a couple of years. They had their seeds inside. And I went, I don't know, one winter, I guess I didn't have much to do. I got them out. I thought, well, I'm just going to plant these this year. So it's like I saw a possibility. I bought them intending, but, you know, being busy and having young kids at home and all that, I just didn't get around to it. Well, when I finally did, so let's say it was two or three years later, I can't remember exactly, I started selling them fresh, just out of the field. And the places I was selling them to loved them, and I was getting a crazy amount of money for them because I was the only person to have it. So then I took them. We have these Amish co-op type of produce auctions around here where, say, 50, 100 farmers, they bring their product in and then it's sold to other wholesalers, stores and whatever. So it just basically pulls the Mennonite community and then lets them distribute further away. And I took them there because they were leftovers. I it took me a couple of years till I built up to where I was growing more than my customers would always want. I took them there and it only took them a year till somebody else got the same bright idea that I did. They bought my gourds, took the seed out of them, and the price was, you know, a fifth of what it was originally the next year. And I didn't feel bad about it, but I had some leftover gourds. And the part that I haven't stated yet is I have always been a creative person and I've always had a wood shop. Matter of fact, the most interesting Christmas gift I ever got, I was probably about six or seven, and I got shop tools, drills, hammers, saws, that kind of stuff that people wouldn't give their kids now. That's what I got for a gift. And I was originally thinking, I don't know if I want to be a farmer. I think I want to be a carpenter or a cabinet maker. That was my interest. Farming was my life, but that was interesting to me. So with these leftover gourds, at about the same time, I met a really old lady She called herself the Gourd Lady. Her first name is Ruth, and I cannot remember the rest of it. But she was crafting them. She was drying them down, and she was turning them into what I thought were really neat things. And I thought, well, in my shop at home, like, first of all, I have to say, I didn't live on the farm. I lived here. We have a way of, like, a farmer will sell off lots along the road, so the houses will be on a strip, maybe 15 or 20 on both sides of the road, like around his farm. So it's not a town, and it's not a farm. We're on the edge of other people's farms, like an acre or something. So I had a one-car garage there, but inside it, I had my shop tools because that was my hobby. And I just decided to try and take these and make things, not knowing that I had the skill to do it. And I didn't really have tools. I had shop tools. I didn't. We now have gourd tools, tools we designed just for our craft. But regardless, I made like 10 products. And my demo of them was we had family coming over for Thanksgiving. I put them on a table and I said, what do you think? 
Now, I had taken cans of spray paint. My colors were off everything, but the style was there. It was the idea or the concept overall. Yes. And from that, their excitement, I still can't, I still to this day can't see when I have something. I just create. But from their excitement, I thought, well, I'm also growing dried flowers. And I know somebody that's taken to these wholesale markets in Philadelphia. And I made it a, a deal to put some of my gourds, like 10% of their booth was my gourds. And then they had dried flowers, which they were bought from me, but they were reselling. And by golly, that little 10% of that booth outsold that whole booth. No kidding. I could not fill orders. And I was like, oh, my word. So, Ben, were they gourds? Like, maybe we should describe for everybody what these gourds actually look like. So they're all different types of characters. Like, there's ghosts and snowmen and, like, all different types of things. And then they're decorated. They've got eyes carved out, sometimes, like, a heart in the stomach, all different types of things where you could have lights coming out. And they're all painted as well. They're beautiful. Were those initial ones the same? No, no. They were stuff that I would look at now and just laugh. I mean, it was a simple bowl, like a bowl with a handle. Now, what was unique was I was growing blueberries at the time. So I put blueberry wood handles and I went out to the fence row and I got rusty wire, cut it off the fence row, bent it into a handle shape, put the piece of wood in the middle of it and put it on a bowl and gave it a color. But because nobody had done it, it was really a cool thing on our market. I mean, for the, sure. in the home decoration market in the early 90s. That, and we started out making snowmen, very crude, just sprayed white or painted white with, I mean, nothing anywhere near the quality that we do now. And from there, if we went from a one-car garage to a half of a trailer truck, like on the farm, I had a drying chamber for the flowers. So it was heated in the wintertime, but it was basically half a trailer truck. I built steps up to the side door, and that's where we started crafting gourds. I started using some of my part-time labor that I had available in the summertime. Some of them were still available in the wintertime. I had them come help, and we started painting in our greenhouse, and we started shipping out of the crudest pole building you ever saw. So it had <laughs> poles that held up the roof, and it had a flat roof on the top, and that was it. So we wrapped it with plastic, like greenhouse plastic. I'm telling you, this was not fancy. But what I could see was, hey, I grew this gourd and I picked it and I have years till I have to get it to market. And that's what I love. It took that crazy, always feeling behind to, hey, this is manageable. If I don't make this gourd this week or this year, I can make it next. And I've crafted gourds 20 years old and you can't tell the difference. They last that long. Well, they'll last hundreds of years in your house. Outside, maybe as a birdhouse, maybe eight or 10 years. But inside, it's just like wood. It's like wood with an organic shape that you grow in nature. I'm sure your listeners, a fair amount of them, don't exactly know what a gourd is. Or I would think they might not. Yeah. The other thing is it filled in an empty space in your annual cycle where you really weren't producing anything. Yes, it wouldn't have been possible to start something like that in the summertime. There were no extra resources. So yes, because I was a seasonal business in the off season, I had time to play. Right. So you're the first person doing it until someone else tried to start mimicking what you were doing. No, no, that's not fair. Okay, correct me. It's a very small 
in your home crafting business with just a couple people that had gone commercial with it. So people have played with this for probably hundreds of years and in other cultures for thousands of years, but nobody brought it to market in a wholesale way. They might sell a few things at a craft show here, a few things there. Okay. But they just weren't doing it to what I would think would be an efficient scale. Okay. All right. But then, So then based on that, so still a very unique product that isn't really readily available. Let me just go with that. Absolutely. How did you decide how to price it? <laughs> well. <laughs> I mean, it's like just a stab in the dark because you have nothing to go after. In the beginning, you're selling directly to your customers. I mean, you or some of your people are there actually selling it to that wholesale customer. You can watch reactions. And we honestly, we had people fight. We were probably too cheap because we just get mobbed. Our guy couldn't even bring product in from the truck without getting mobbed. He gets stuck out in a truck selling off his truck at one of these shows. <laughs> wow. We simply had something that most people hadn't seen before. Number one question is, what's a gourd? Mm -hmm. And we'd explain it to them. It was organic. And not that it's organically grown, but it's an organic product. And it just fascinated me. And I guess the way we styled them, it's accidental. Well, it's accidental if you watch people's smiles. It's accidental. You can create and not even know, or I can create and not even know I have a yes or a no. But when I show it to somebody, if I watch their eyes, because most people, I think, like to lie to you or not lie. I don't mean lie. They're being kind to you. You want the reaction without any kindness. That's the most helpful one. Is Yeah, people who have no vested interest in your reaction, really. Well, or what I found is I had to find people, like I could create, but I had to find people that could tell me what I created was good or bad. And my wife happens to be one of them. And it was as simple. I'd laugh about it. I'd take my things home. This is when we got a little bit bigger and my shop wasn't in my garage. I take it home and I just sit it on the counter because I know my wife would try to make me feel good and not as bad as some people maybe, but I still didn't completely trust her not to tell me that was nice. I wanted to know if she really liked it. So I'd put it on the counter and if she really liked it, she'd keep it in the house. And if she didn't, she'd ask me like, are you going to take that? And that's how it was as simple as that. If it was good oh. enough, she wanted it. <laughs> then I had something because she had her choice of everything we made. And right. so I, all right. If I have it good enough that she likes, and I think we both chuckled about that over the years and I don't do that anymore. That lasted for probably about 15 years. Now my daughter is the one that we have a little team here, but she probably is the most vocal one of them. She decides whether it's good or not. She's the one who's making the final choice there. Yes. So you took just a guess at the pricing and then adjusted along the way. You probably, when your trucks were being totally sold out before you even got into the event, you probably figured at that point you needed to raise your prices. That was one indicator. Yes. Yes. And then did you just kind of keep adjusting till you settled in on the right prices along the way or how did that work? Well, it's still to this day, that's one of the more challenging things is how do you price something where it doesn't have a market price? And we use a combination of a mathematical formula. Like we know down to a couple seconds how long it takes us to make each gourd. And that might pass through 20 people's hands, but we have each step timed and we pay according to time. So that's how our employees are paid. So we have a good 
clear labor costs. We have good farm costs. We have material costs are easy. That The big one is the overhead, how you allocate overhead. And that's just, I mean, we have a whole farm, multiple, well, you saw it, a lot of things here, but they all cost money. But there's a little piece of that cost in each one of those gourds as overhead. And that is kind of the trickier one. But we still watch our customers. If something isn't selling, we pay attention and we replace about 30% of our products every year with something new. And we would love our customers to be honest with us and tell us when we're too expensive because really we don't know. If something doesn't sell, it could be multiple reasons, but one of them could be price. And we don't know that unless we can get that information from either our retail customers or our wholesale customers. And that's, as you know, that's not an easy thing to do. No, because most people are going to say that it's too pricey so that the price will go down. Well, or they like you and they'll say, oh, that's fine. Again, what you want is what was their first thought they had, not what was the coach thought. Right. (laughs) Yeah. What was that first thought? It's a challenge. It remains a challenge. I think over the years, we've been too low priced. We've been too high priced. And I won't say what I think we are now. I'm not sure. That's always something we keep our eye on. Yeah. My perspective is they're not cheap, for sure. And I say it in both ways, in the cost to obtain an item, but also in the quality of the artwork and the design and the style and all of that. But when I went into your shop, I mean, there was something for everybody at price points, right? Because at that point, you were already promoting Halloween, Thanksgiving and Christmas ornaments even. And those were totally reasonable. And then, of course, the big things that I was looking at (laughs) were expensive (laughs) because I'm going for all the big stuff, right? But I think it's very reassuring for our listeners to hear that it's kind of a delicate dance, this pricing thing. You have a little bit of more of a challenge because you're also growing your product. You're not obtaining the gourd, so you have more elements to your cost. Mm -hmm. But I think, like I said, it's comforting to know. So let's move on to when you started going into wholesale. That truck incident I told you was wholesale. We actually started 100% wholesale for the first probably eight years. We didn't sell. Okay, we would test retail a local craft show. We would test new ideas. But we saw the market at that time as either you're in it wholesale or you're in it retail. Because if you're in it retail and you're selling Like if we go to a craft show, but it would be in the territory of one of our customers or close to one of our customers, we felt we would offend them. Right. You're competing with yourself and then your customer. Right. So we intentionally stayed wholesale. And the other reason for wholesale was you saw where we're located at now. What you don't see is the road you drove in was a dirt road 20 years ago. And front every time a car went by our buildings, the front of the buildings just got dusted out and it just wasn't very hospitable to retail. We're way out here in the country. Everybody that comes here, they intended to get here. In all these years, I've only talked to one customer said I was driving by and stopped in just one customer in 20 years said I was driving by and I said, I've never heard that. I don't think you would be around if that were the case. No. I actually forget what the original point was when I was telling that story. (laughs) I was asking you about wholesale, and so you were sharing that you did that pretty much from the start. Yes. We were 100% wholesale, and I like that model for starting a business. Now we have multiple streams of income. But in the beginning, when you, you don't know how to craft gourds, you don't know how to grow gourds, you don't know this business, you don't know the craft business, you don't know anything. Of that. It's much easier to do just one thing, mm-hmm. just focus on wholesale. 
don't try to do online. Don't well, there wasn't even an online then, but don't try to do everything. Focus on one, and that got us off to a good start, I think. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like the attraction of the gourds made it pretty easy to get into stores. Well, here's the thing: I don't think I'm a very good marketer or a very good salesperson. That's just not my gift. And I think my gift is to make products that sell themselves. I think I was always focused that way because I did not want to be out trying to sell them. I wanted to be creating them. We'll hear how Ben managed through this selling problem right after a quick break. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, Happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or find packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. So who'd you have selling? I would have always had... This is crazy. This is how hot it was in the beginning. We put our name and our phone number on our tag. We went to one or two craft shows, maybe one or two in the very beginning. And we just left word of mouth go around the craft shops because they were competitors, one craft shop to another, whatever. And so they were going out and looking at craft shops that they admired or they saw something in and they'd see these gourds. They'd turn a tag over and there was our phone number. They call us. So our marketing was sitting there waiting for the phone to ring. And that got to be a pretty busy job. That was the gold rush of the gourds when they sold themselves. Not probable today, I'm guessing. Unless you have an extremely unique product that comes out again. Yes. And I feel so fortunate I didn't earn this, that nobody did this with gourds. I mean, it was just like a lucky break. It was a lucky break, but you recognized it and you took it. Like how many opportunities are around all of us all the time and we don't recognize it as a possibility? Yes, that's true. I think I just got an extra easy one for my gifts. I just got something handed to me is the way I feel. I want to just say it was meant to be because as you talk about growing up on the farm and then getting that tool kit and that you enjoyed all that craftsmanship type, you merged the two together and look at where you are today. Absolutely. Yep. This is like what you were meant to do because it just like it's so streamlined, I would say. So at what point did you start adding employees as you're starting to see things grow? Tell us how the growth of the business happened. When I start a new venture, I do not invest heavily. I find tests. I find an efficient way of finding out whether my assumptions are right or wrong. It's just the way I am. It's a protective thing from getting overextended into crazy ideas because creative people have good ideas and crazy ideas. And I'm not sure whether my ideas are crazy or good, so I test them. Well, I would have done the same thing starting this business. I would have hired people that I already knew that weren't currently working as needed basis. And then as things became more and more stable, like 
in the second or third year, you realize, well, you're not a one-time wonder. And you can start to see, well, this thing could be so much bigger than what I'm doing now. It, it could be endless. At first, you're like, well, I run out of ideas. Like, I put out these 10 gourds that people like. Well, at the time, that's the only 10 ideas for gourds I had. And I didn't know if the next time I sat down to do it, if I could come up with 11. But once you realize that ideas are endless, because I didn't. I mean, I'm a farmer. I didn't go to school for any. I didn't have a mentor or any of that. I just I had to learn about myself at the same time that I'm making a life. That's kind of how we started with employees is the more stable we got or the more stable I could see the future, the more I was willing to invest in employees. And in like the third year, we had five full-time employees. I mean, by that time, I had said, look, I think we can do this. And I think this looks a lot easier than what I've been doing. I actually struggled for quite a while being six months going back and forth. Am I going to be in this business and just myself? Because I had the stress of all those kids in the summertime. I, I was always chasing my tail. And I thought, well, I have all the gifts I need. I don't need to have employees. I can make a living. I think I can make a living for the, maybe the rest of my life with my own hands on a smaller scale, safer and all that. And I'm glad that I chose to have employees because what that allowed me to do is now I get to do the jobs that I want to do. I don't have to do everything. And in the end, that made a huge difference. So we geared up as business came in, we geared up. And let's say in three years, we had five people. In 10 years, we had 15 people. And then as growth slowed down, we were probably up to 20 now, plus part-time. We still hire school-age kids to harvest the gores to pollinate them. So we have an additional 10 or 15 part-time employees in those seasonal periods when we harvest or pollinate. At what point did the vegetables go down? Well, as the gourd business picked up, Whichever vegetable caused me the most frustration, and I liked the least, left. <laughs> so in about five years, I was only growing sweet corn. And the only reason I was growing sweet corn is because at that particular time of the summer, I wasn't particularly busy in the gourd business, and I had young kids, and I wanted them to have something to do on the farm. And people love my sweet corn. So I guess maybe it's partly for that pat on the back. It was the last thing to go. But that trailed on maybe three or four years more. So you wound down the vegetables and then you wound up the gourds. Yep. And then where did the idea come to turn the building? To us, this is our home. People come here, they do pilgrimages here. A, they get the tours. And once people get a tour, they can actually watch our guys wash them, cut them, color them, and accessorize them. Oh, I didn't know about this. Okay, talk about that more. Well, it's every Tuesday we give a free tour. Tuesday's at 2, which is today, and one took off here before I sat down. And then over the holidays, when families bring people in from all over the country, we open up every day of the week then. And we do group tours. You know, if you have 15 or more people, we'll book you a group tour. So this is our home base. We have a store, but the big thing people come here is for the experience. They get to see that we're real. They get to see how we do it. And the number one thing they say when they come out of watching how we do it is like, oh, I get it. Your gourds aren't expensive anymore. Interesting. I see what they did. And that's kind of what we fight. And from a marketing perspective, the customer, the wholesale customers are is that can tell our story the best, do the best. Or some of them 
take our tags off, tell a different story. It's authentic, but they just don't use our name. And in those cases, our product sells well. It doesn't sell well if it isn't connected to its history. Interesting. So here we connect the history. Yeah. This is kind of a side note, but I'm just thinking to all of you guys who are listening and, you know, we're always talking about now Facebook and video and all of that and behind the scenes showing how your product is made. This is a great example of the more you're willing to open up your behind the shop and show the intricacies of development of your product, the more value the customer feels about the product. Like I'm guessing now, Ben, this will be an interesting question circling back because I also know in your home, you have gourds for sale so people can do their own as well. Well, we recognized maybe 10 years ago that people probably 15 years, that's the way time flies, that people wanted to participate in that process. Like, yeah, they were buying gourds, but they also had ideas of things that we didn't make. And we started opening up, we call them create your own, where we would put raw gourds out and we put our crafters there because the big missing link, if you want to craft a gourd yourself, how do you cut the thing? It's wood, it's round, it's like wood and it's round. And if you want to cut intricate designs in there, there's a few cheap gourd saws out there that don't work very well. And they're expensive. So it's very difficult. You want to cut one gourd, you're into $150. The gourd might cost you $5 and the saw cost you $145. So if you want to try this, it's too expensive to get into. We started doing that and that has just, I mean, it has taken off. We also studied our customers and realized that you have to give people more than just a gourd and advice and uh, somebody there to cut. Like they would draw on and our guys would cut it. So we started doing with pre-cut kind of like kit type things where you could stack it together and do your own painting and your own accessorizing. And that has just gone crazy because now it isn't the 5% of the people that I'd say are artistic. It's those 5% are fine. They're happy too. But the other 95% that thought they couldn't do it realize they can. And oh my word, it looks almost as good as our stuff. So once you get a lot of customers and all that excitement, like, hey, I made something. And like my wife has gone to the paint night things where you drink a little wine and you paint. None of that stuff is hanging up in her house. She went for the experience. She thought it was okay, but it's somewhere in a basement buried in a, in a container where people that leave our Create Your Owns here, I know they're giving us gifts or they're going to display them. They're that happy about it. And that was the key to the Create Your Owns. So it's not just the experience then, but it's also that the product is really good. But you're also lucky because people can't as easily replicate that by themselves at their home. They can do it when they're with you. Uh, That's what I was telling. I feel lucky about a lot of this. It's not fair. (laughs) You'll own it. It's okay. (laughs) It's these little, what would I call them, pinch points that keep other people from doing this that has actually worked in our benefit. And that would be one of them. Not everybody has an extra $150 to try something that they don't think they can probably do anyhow. Well, and if there's more than that to the experience, right? Like, tell us more over and above the gourds, what you're able to do on your property. Let me, first of all, create a little bit better picture of those Create Your Own events. Okay. We actually clean out our, when I say clean out, we reorganize our, the actual area that we do our production in, our finishing room, 
our crafting room and our assembly room. We strip it all out and we bring tables and chairs and we seat about 125 customers at a time in three different rooms. And they are there with all of our craftspeople. So that one-on-one experience, they're getting to know us. And we have really nice people that work here. I don't know, maybe everybody says that, but they really are. And so that interaction, it just, that whole family type of feel is what they get when they're doing Create Your Own. They have all the help they want. And it's just such a, I guess maybe I sound like I'm bragging. I don't mean to. You should. It's your business. You should be bragging. It's, they're just a special bond develops between our regular customers that do that every event. I mean, we'll have some people, I don't know where they could put any more gourds, but they keep coming. And I think a lot of it is the connection with our employees, their meaningful connections. So what else can you do on our farm? You said in your introduction to sunflowers, the sunflowers were an accident. They were planted as a cover crop and I had a retail customer and I don't work in a store, but they would have asked the store manager and she would have called me and said, hey, one of my customers saw you have sunflowers out there. They would like to know if they could go pick them. And for a cover crop, really what I care about is the organic matter, the roots, and that there's something growing in the ground. The flower isn't so important to me. So I said, sure, let them go pick. And they had such a good time and other people started asking. Now, this is just a small field compared to what you saw. I thought, well, if people like that, it doesn't really cost me anything. Why don't I just do it and give them away? I can tell you I did it for multiple reasons, but probably the number one was just to be kind. Our store sales quadrupled when sunflower season came in. No way. Yes. And now it's an intentional thing. It's still free. But now I see the business benefit. Like it started out just being nice. And it's like, wait a minute. That doesn't cost me very much. And that makes people smile. And then they go tell other people and they come out and they're smiling too. And then they'll come in the store to thank us. And the way they like to thank us is not everybody for sure, but they'll think of us at Christmas time or whatever. And hey, I'm going to go support the people that made this possible. So that's the way it started. And currently we grow about 80 acres of sunflowers They start in the beginning of September, and they run until frost about the middle of October. So we put out multiple plantings. We do sunflower tours with that tractor and uh, trolley that you, I think you said you took a picture of. Yep. I crawled underneath. (laughs) Just to be dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) My daughter bought a 15-acre farm right beside ours, and she put a little pick-your-own pumpkin patch in a corn maze and, and we put the multicolored. I don't know if you saw them when you were out here, but instead of just being yellow and brown and green, they are all different fall colors, oranges and mahoganies and that kind of stuff. Oh, pretty. I didn't see that. We put the expensive, the smaller patch, we put that down by her place. So that's pretty much, and we have an oops sale at that time of the year. Oops is, we have what I would call really high quality standards here. Like I can't even tell when something gets rejected exactly what it got rejected for 50% of the time, maybe. Because we're selling wholesale, it has to be predictable what it looks like to our customer. And gourds aren't all uniform. I mean, they're like, it's not working with like something that came out of a mold. It's like everyone is slightly different. So it means maybe we have 2% error rate out of all the gourds we make. Well, we save them. And we hold a sale called oops. And the word oops came from oops, I made a mistake. 
So we call it an upsell, and we have food trucks and bands come out and play, and we just turn it into a large social occasion for this area. I mean, we're just, it's still really growing. There's really not anybody else doing that. There's other people selling sunflowers, but there isn't anybody that's just giving them away and letting people take pictures and traipse over 100 acres of the farm. And we maybe someday can't do it either from a liability issue, but so far we've been in it about 15 years and customers, besides some people that you wouldn't think stealing things, driving up in a Mercedes Benz and pocketing some of your gourds and your pumpkins from the fields. No way. Other than that, we haven't had much issue. So it's just, it's like we opened up the farm to people within bounds. Like we have our roads blocked off where we don't want people to go. But by and large, you can come out here and you can get a picture with your family and friends. I don't know how many people we've had get engaged out here, do their wedding shots. But the fields are so vast that you can find that little niche and you're like with other people, but you're also private because you saw the size of the field. Because it's so big, for sure. Yeah. It amazes me because I live this life, but it amazes me how little a lot of people get to see of the outdoors and the fields and the sun. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's true. And, you know, it's combining so many things because you've got the nature outside, the sunflowers are so colorful, and then you have the experience. I didn't know that the tractor actually moved. So you've got the rides, you've got the events that you put on, all of that. And then you go inside, you've got the gorge, you've got the experience of being able to make your own. So there's just so much to do. I mean, you could easily spend almost a full day there if you really wanted to. Yes, you could. Most of our customers, like I said, it's a bit of a pilgrimage for them. And they don't come for just a half an hour. That's what they want. They drove two hours, so they want a couple hours at least of entertainment, so to speak. It was impossible for me to decide which gourds I was buying. I think literally I was there for an hour deciding. Putting things back on the shelf, putting things back in. Does this go with this? How will this vignette work at my house? (laughs) Back and forth. (laughs) Do I want to get Thanksgiving ones or Christmas ones? (laughs) Oh, but then there's also Easter. Like all that was crazy. So, well, listen, Ben, we'll do our listeners a disservice if we don't swing back and talk a little bit about how you feel about the competition and the role that it plays. You alluded to it in the beginning. I wanted to stop you because I wanted to dive into it a little bit deeper after everybody knew a little bit more about you and your business. But you'd mentioned that you don't totally look at your competition, but you peek at them from time to time. Might be at least the way I got it. So will you expand on that a little bit? Well, I think with your competition, you have to be aware of where they're at. You can't do this blind. Like, so what I'm saying is we did not follow anybody. We made our own path. And then we began competing against ourselves. We're not trying to be like somebody else or better than somebody else. That was the point that I was making. For us, it was probably the easiest because there wasn't a lot of competition. But it was just funny. You, You realize you might not have seen a competitor in two or three years. And you realize, oh, I'm inward focused, meaning I care more about how I've improved as opposed to what my competitors might be doing. That was what I guess I was trying to say there. And what do you look at for improvement? How do you judge if you're making the right improvements? Is it all monetary? No, huh? because to me, monetary, I see business as a game. And money tells you what happened in the past is you go back and you look at your dollar figures for the year that tells you what happened in the past 
And it's a good indicator. I mean, don't get me wrong. I believe in watching the numbers. But a smile tells you what's happening right now. If your numbers were real good, but your customers weren't excited, well, that just means they were excited to come see you, but will they come next year or next see or whatever? So I actually watch smiles. I try to watch people's enjoyment and also watch the numbers. But to me, the numbers show you something delayed. No, I think you're right. I like how you said this. Numbers show what was. Yes. And the smiles tell you what will continue. Because nobody says that you're going to repeat those numbers if you are not giving the same quality product, satisfaction, any of that. Well, see, I believe somebody will still buy from us. If they drove two hours to come here, they're going to buy from us. But if they weren't excited enough, they're not going to drive two hours next year. Ben goes on to share an experience he had that was in complete contrast with the experience customers have in Meadowbrook Farms. They made teddy bears and they went absolutely huge into a billion-dollar company. Their barn was located about an hour away from here. I mean, it was massive. This is a billion-dollar company. You walk in there and it floored you. That's awesome. But something seemed a little bit off to me at the time, too. I went back three years later. It was just as awesome, but it was just the same. And I never went back again. And we actually became a customer of ours. And... (laughs) I think in the end, they wound up owing us money because they went bankrupt. That was the end result was they wowed you with size and with a grand kind of like a Disney World, but they didn't build on that somehow. Now, what I'm actually trying to say is you can be really good, but if you aren't different and better the next time, you eventually lose that customer anyhow in the craft market. I think people really want They want to be a little surprised every time they come to your store or see your product. They want to see something they haven't seen before. So how are you doing that? 30% of our products are new every year. Okay, so new designs. Yes, new experiences. Like that trolley you saw wasn't there two years ago. Those cottages weren't there a year ago. Sunflowers were only 10 acres or five acres, three years. It's it's that. There weren't pick your own pumpkins. There wasn't a corn maze. All those things. It's just like, I think to keep people's attention, you need to keep offering them a little something unexpected so that they're thrilled every time they come. Okay. So I have a challenge for you. How close are you to Lancaster? An hour. Okay. So if I come to you in September, am I going to see something new? Absolutely. If you don't, I'll fire myself. How's that? (laughs) All right. I'm coming next September because I'm going to be in the area. And that'll be a perfect because it'll be a year from when I was there before. Sounds like a challenge. Yes. That'll be fun. (laughs) As you're looking into the future, I know you're saying that you're kind of stepping back and it's a family run business. So you're letting the other generations kind of pick up, which is so exciting, I'm sure, for you to watch it continue. But what do you see for yourself? What do the upcoming years hold for you? Well, I struggled with this question because it's kind of like I'm looking back on a life that a lot of dreams came true. And I don't at this time have major dreams. I did not know that all of my kids would want to be in this business and take it over. So it's like dreams plus dreams I didn't even dream. I just want to help them and our employees. We're about half family here and about half friends that work together. 
I just want to see that, that this remains successful for them. And I actually think that I'm looking for some way to serve. One of the podcasters that I listened to said, when you don't know what you're going to do next, go do something for somebody else till you figure it out because you're going to be happy either way. Okay. I think I like that. Yeah, I like that too. I will design gourds. I must create something. And I'm hoping to build a whole village of those little cottages that you saw. That would be cool. Yeah. That could keep me busy for five, 10 years. So we'll see. I just, I want to stay active. I want to stay creative and I want to stay involved, but I am glad not to make all the financial decisions, the business decisions. I like just to play. So I'll be playing in this business for as long as I can. Beautiful. I love that. And that's a perfect way for us to end. As I'm just listening to all of this, I know you realize what a lucky guy you are. Just like this whole thing, it's like a magical equation that just got built based around things that you love to do. Thank you so much for sharing today. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to come back. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'll forget all about the challenge, but I will still win it, I bet you. <laughs> I bet you will, but I'm going to check it out for sure. <laughs> all right. One might have your name on it. <laughs> Ooh, that would be cool. Well, Ben, once again, thank you so much for being with me today. You're very welcome. I've enjoyed it very much. So seriously, doesn't Ben sound like just the nicest guy? I love how much passion he has for his business, even after all these years, and how much he cares and speaks so highly of his employees. Meadowbrook Gourds sounds like the best place to work. And knowing that it's being passed down to the next generation just continues to add to the richness of the business. I'm already thinking about what I'm buying when I go back there next September. I'll cover it all in my Instagram stories, of course, at giftbizunwrapped, and have photos of my visit and evidence of Ben's winning my challenge, because we all know that he will, let's face it. <laughs> we talked in the beginning of this episode about Ben's business starting somewhat by accident. Up next week is another family business that discovered a significant product extension also by, in a way, an accident. It just goes to show you that opportunities are all around us when we watch for them. I'll fill you in on all the details when we get together again next week. See you then. Oh, and one more thing. I'm not even going to roll an outro here for this episode, because if you haven't already, I want you to take the time right now to go register for my masterclass. Remember, it's at giftbizunwrap.com forward slash masterclass. Couldn't be any easier, and I'll see you in class.